0: This teaching comes to you from the team at St. Mark's, Darling Point, Sydney. We hope that it blesses you.
1: The first reading is Jeremiah chapter 7, beginning at the first verse. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand at the gate of the Lord's house, This is the temple of the Lord. This is the temple of the Lord. This is the temple of the Lord. If you really change your ways and actions and deal with each other justly, if you do not oppress the foreigner, the fatherless or the widow, do not shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place in the land I gave your ancestors forever and ever. But look, you are trusting in deceptive words that are worthless. Will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal and follow other gods you have not known and then come and stand before me in this house which bears my name and say, we are safe safe to do all these detestable things has this house which bears my name become a den of robbers to you but i have been watching declares the lord hear the word of the lord
0: And second reading comes from Matthew, chapter 21, verses 12 to 17. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said, my house will be called a house of prayer but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus, have you never read from the lips of children and infants? You, Lord, have called forth your praise. And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany, where he spent the night. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks.
2: Gracious God. Your word is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. Today, when we hear your voice, deliver us from hardness of heart. Help us to put away everything that keeps us from persevering in your way. For the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Please take a seat. Well, Happy New Year. Have you made any New Year's resolutions? Broken any yet? Personally, I avoid them. My problem is I try to bite off more than I can chew. I once set out to read 10 chapters of the Bible every day. Very virtuous. I lasted for two days. Um, One recent one was to stop eating dessert. And guess how long that one lasted. Uh, Well, one of the best pieces of advice that I've had is try to not change too much at once, to focus just on one small thing at a time. Instead of overturning everything, just focus on turning over a new leaf in just a particular part of life. And so maybe I'm being too pessimistic. A new year, it's a transition point, a chance to turn over a new leaf in manageable ways to revive your health or recommit yourself to your family or redirect your vocation or reach new spiritual depths. So what is it that you want out of this year? What shape will your life take? Some new challenges, some refreshments, some recommitments? Well, our gospel reading today comes from a significant point of transition in Jesus' life. In, math, in the Gospels, the stories of Jesus' life, in Matthew, Mark and Luke, Jesus' adult life is spent all around his hometown Nazareth in Galilee, 150 kilometres walk north of Jerusalem. And it's only in this, the final week of his life in the Gospels that he sets his face and enters the city of Jerusalem. And you could say that at this point, Jesus turns over a new leaf. But what we have from Jesus isn't just a resolution or a a small adjustment to his life, but an overturning, a fresh revelation of who he is and a revolution of the life and religion and expectations of everyone around him. And this overturning, this revolution, continues to resonate, reverberate, and reach out to us today. And so in this new year, for the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at this week of Jesus' life as he enters into Jerusalem, to watch very closely, and we're going to see and hear how Jesus challenges us, not just to change some daily habits, but to overturn our priorities, and our lives. So what kind of transition is this for Jesus? Well, so far in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus has kept his cards pretty close to his chest. Now, we've just come off the back of Christmas, and at Christmas, things are all all out there for everyone to see. We get the genealogy that, that proclaims Jesus as being the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham, the The one who will, the new leader of Israel. And when the angel announces his birth, we hear that Jesus is none other than Emmanuel, God with us. But then throughout the rest of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus' identity and his power, they're muted. We don't see them quite so much. Yes, he teaches, yes, he heals, he even raises the dead, but he keeps his identity quiet. When demons try to speak to reveal who he really is, he closes their mouths. When his disciples say, you are the Messiah, he tells them, don't tell anyone. Keep it to yourself. But now, as Jesus approaches Jerusalem, he breaks his silence. In a dramatic act, he sits on a donkey with its colt and he rides down the Mount of Olives into the city. As Israel's king. The crowds, they know what this symbolic act means. So they cry out, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so this entry into Jerusalem is Jesus' major step towards a new order. Israel's king overturning the old and bringing in the new Whenever you read the Gospels, honestly, this is what you see of Jesus. Not a mild-mannered teacher or a symbol of wisdom and love, but a revolutionary. A man who isn't simply a model and an inspiration, but someone who overturns, reconfigures our expectations and our lives. And if this Jesus is a surprise to you or, or someone that you're less familiar with, I invite you this new year to, as we look at the this chap these chapters of the Gospel of Matthew, to read through the whole of the Gospel of Matthew and see, maybe for the first time, maybe again, the power and presence of Jesus. Just last night, as I was driving down from the Central Coast to get here in time to preach this morning, I listened to uh, David Suchet's reading of the Gospel of Matthew, uh, British stage and screen actor, Inspector uh, Poirot, is that how you say his name? Poirot, there you go. Shows how much I watch. Um, and, uh, but it's incredible. It's magnificent. If you haven't heard him read, he has a recording of the whole Bible. Uh, I really recommend it to you. And it's changed. I normally only read and so it's changed the way I think, oh, wow, this is the first time I've actually listened to an audio Bible. It's changed the way I interact with it. And so I encourage you, check it out, and especially the Gospel of Matthew, to see again Jesus' power and presence. But what kind of revolution is this that Jesus brings? What exactly does Jesus overturn? Will he stir up the crowds and whip them up into a frenzy? Will he provoke the Jewish leaders? Will he go to the Roman garrison in open rebellion? Verse 12 of our gospel reading. Jesus entered the temple courts. He entered the temple courts. By entering the temple courts, as the, as the first thing he did, Jesus brings a revolution in worship by challenging the very heart of Jewish life and religion, the temple. Now, the Jerusalem temple, it wasn't just your local parish church. The temple was the center of Jerusalem and the center of Jewish identity. The temple, it stood at the top of the mountain, the hill in the middle of Jerusalem. And as you approached the city of Jerusalem, you would approach from the hills on the outside and all around the valleys, and go back up into a mountain, a hill in the middle, and the, with the temple right on top. And as you came over those hills and looked down, you saw the giant magnificent marble and gold facade of the temple luminous glinting in the sun and then as you draw closer you'd see the vast courtyards surrounding that building four football fields wide four football fields long and surrounded by walls and walkways this was truly one of the wonders of the ancient world And this was at the time of the Passover festival when pilgrims would come from all over the Mediterranean to worship and make sacrifices at the temple. And so the crowds in Jerusalem swelled to five times their size, just under 200,000 people. And so the courts of the temple, vast courts overflowing with people, with Jews and Gentiles, gathered to worship at the festival. And so it's into this heaving, majestic temple courtyard that Jesus marches. And he walks straight up to the people buying and selling doves for sacrifice, to the tables of the people changing money to allow the pilgrims to buy the sacrifices and pay the temple tax. He seizes the tables and throws them to the ground. Coins clanking all over the place, through the colonnades, Cages crashing, doves flying, feathers everywhere. Why would Jesus do that? Cause such a scene. It's so embarrassing. It's so shocking. In this magnificent place full of worshippers. Well, Verse 13. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. This is a declaration, a judgment, that despite all the show, despite the majesty, the crowds, and the excitement, that the temple worship, especially because of the temple leaders, had lost its essence. It was no longer a house of prayer, but as a den of robbers, Now, to begin with, the temple leaders, they had allowed trade to occur in a place that should have been reserved for prayer and worship. But I think that this was just a surface blemish under which lay a rotten core that Jesus had been criticising and will continue to criticise through the Gospel of Matthew. And that reference to the den of robbers recalls Jeremiah's judgment on the temple that we had read earlier from Jeremiah 7. When he says that you people, you're offering prayer and sacrifice, but your hearts are far from the Lord. They oppressed the foreigner, the orphan and the widow. They shed innocent blood. They were thieves, adulterers and murderers. And they worshipped other gods. And then they had the temerity to presume that as long as they came to the temple and offered sacrifices and prayers, that they would be safe. Now, that was in Jeremiah's day, about 600 years before Jesus. But Jesus himself later explicitly condemns the leadership for the same kinds of things, for their lack of mercy and and justice, for their greed and self-indulgence and hypocrisy and wickedness. And so in this prophetic, symbolic protest, Jesus judges the temple leadership. He calls them to reform their worship, fitting to a house of prayer. To be a people who not only pray and bring sacrifice, but who maintain justice and do what is right. Who hold fast to the covenant and who love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind and strength. And it's this challenge, this demand of a reformed, wholehearted worship that Jesus continues to call us to today. The thing with religion is that it's all too easy for it to become a rote thing that we just continue to participate in because we always have. But where the heart is gone and it's just become an outward show. To be a house of prayer that Jesus wishes for his temple, which for us has become the very people of God is to be a community of people who not only worship in outward and obvious ways, but also have their hearts oriented to God, who love the Lord their God, and who worship him in every part of their lives. And so Jesus' challenge to us today is that we cannot be a people who praise God with our lips while worshipping the gods of comfort and self-indulgence, reputation cannot be a community who draws on god's mercy while being merciless to others people who claim to be faithful to god but who are unfaithful in our relationships and untruthful in our dealings jesus calls us to a wholehearted worship that loves god and is lived out in every part of our lives and let me be clear here, what Jesus isn't asking for is perfection. He wants, he wants our hearts and not an outward show. And he wants us to be honest instead of hypocritical. And notice too that Jesus condemns especially the spiritual leadership. And so this is especially a challenge to us who should know better. People who have been a Christian for a long time or are leaders among us. And so as I was reflecting on this, you know, it's so easy for me in a life in ministry and up front like this to go through the spiritual motions but not let it touch my heart. And so the challenge for me this year is to find a new depth and devotion in my personal life of worship. But for you what will it be? What will the challenge be for you to bring you to a renewed, reformed worship of God that's lived out through your heart in your whole life? But there's something deeper going on here because when Jesus overturns these tables, he's not just looking for a reformation or a a change, a change in attitude. Because he's actually overturning the whole object of Israel's worship. He redirects their worship from the temple to himself. Did you notice what happened right after this protest in the second part of the reading? The blind and the lame, they come to him to be healed. That sounds like a strange thing to happen right after he's been flipping the tables in the temple. But it shows that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God, the son of David, who is to be worshipped. Because when the prophet Isaiah envisaged God coming to save his people in chapter 35 of his book, it's the blind and the lame who receive healing. And so the children, they they see what Jesus is doing in the temple and they recognize this. And so they shout out Hosanna, which is Aramaic for save now, save now, son of David. So here is Jesus in the temple healing these poor captive people, taking on the full identity as the son of David, the Messiah, the one from God. Who is bringing God's salvation and healing to the world, and who is to be worshipped? You know, the leaders, the Jewish leaders, they're indignant at what these children are saying. But in response, Jesus quotes from Psalm 8 and these children, they're merely doing what God has called them to do to praise God by praising the Messiah. And so, true worship then, it's not centered around a temple anymore, as majestic and gleaming as it was. Because something greater than the temple is here. Because now Israel's worship is directed at Jesus Christ, the son of David, God with us. First part of what I was saying today was a challenge against hypocrisy. And we really need to be, avoid being religious hypocrites. But I think that this second part is a gracious invitation. And we really need to hear this second part, this call to worship Jesus as a gracious invitation. Because when we come to worship him, we come to one who is gentle and lowly. One who invites the broken, the blind, and the lame. And the insignificant, the seemingly insignificant, the children and those who are like them. And so if you've got to the end of 2022 and you need release freedom, comfort, Jesus gives it. If you need grace and forgiveness or nourishment and care, come to him. Come to him. So that's the paradox of worshipping Jesus. It's a challenge and a demand, but it's demand that brings lightness and joy. And so for all of us, it's worth asking in 2022, will your life, will your spiritual life, that is your life viewed from God's perspective, will it be focused here on Jesus, the son of David? Now, perhaps you're here today or watching online and you're not a follower of Jesus, an interested observer, uh, maybe for a long time or maybe here in the new year, uh, checking things out looking perhaps to explore into new ways of things. Well, today, God calls you to not just stand back and watch, but to worship him through Jesus Christ. He is the image of the invisible God, the full revelation of God's glory. His yoke is easy and his burden is light, and he calls you to follow him. Perhaps, on the other hand, you consider yourself a committed Christian. So the question today, I think, is have you lost sight of Jesus? Have you lost sight of this centre, this object, this person who is the centre of our worship? You might love and really appreciate the spiritual experience uh, that you get from coming on a Sunday morning. You might really enjoy the intellectual stimulation of theology and biblical knowledge. Or you live a Christian way of life because it makes for a good and satisfying life. These things are all good things. But Jesus calls you to worship him at the center of all of that. Not the experience, not the intellect, not the way of life. Because if you lose Jesus, all these other things, they lose their heart and they wither away. And so this year, will you recover a worship of Jesus like these little children? Will you get to know him more deeply in the Gospels? In uh, January, we're going to be doing something called Summer Socials, getting together on a Wednesday night to watch the TV show, the TV production of Jesus' life, The Chosen. And that might be a way for you to reconnect with this Jesus who you worship. And so I invite you to come along to that. We'll say a little bit more about that a little bit later on. And as you meet him, will you listen to him and do as he says? Will you open yourself to him in prayer? Will you speak about him in your conversation shamelessly, like like a child? Will you depend on him in every part of your life? And so this year, let us not be people who make a few superficial resolutions or small adjustments. Let's be people whose very lives are overturned. Who live lives that are wholehearted, devoted worship of our God, fixated on Jesus, the son of David. Let me lead us in prayer. Our Lord Jesus Christ, you are worthy of all praise, honour and worship, and you are gentle and kind. Give us minds and hearts that know and love you above all else, that we might praise you with our whole being and live lives of mercy and peace. In your mighty name and in the power of your spirit we pray. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening.